Hello and welcome to Financial Planning Explained and I'm the host Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. Of the six areas of financial planning, one of the areas is tax planning and of all the six, I can assure you that tax planning incorporates everything. It's involved and it's integrated into every facet of financial planning. As I indicated, uh, this show is designed to be educational in nature. I like to talk about tax planning because, like I said, it's involved in everything. And fact of the matter is, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. This is going to be a two-part series. The first part is going to be talking about how the tax system works, the fundamentals of taxes, how the tax system works. The second part is the next episode, which will be next week, which will be talking about Reflecting back on how the taxes work, but now what do we do for planning and strategies to kick it off? So I would take my jacket off, but my microphone's on it. But I'm going to roll up my sleeves, which I can't, but let's dive right in. I'm going to do the best I can to try to make a topic that most people think is very boring. I am going to try to make this interesting. And all I ever hear from people is good luck. So here we go. Roll up your sleeves, let's go. So if you're talking about taxation, taxation really is on multiple levels. Now here I'm talking about Pennsylvania, New Jersey is the different, but the levels of taxation that you have is at the state level. Pennsylvania is 3.07%, it's a flat tax. And New Jersey and other states have their own tax system. Some of them are flat tax, some of them are no tax, and some of them, is some of them are predicated on what your earnings are. Then you've got uh, local tax, again in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has municipality taxes. And in fact, if you're in Philadelphia, you have a Philadelphia, wage or Philadelphia tax, which is closer to 4% as opposed to a local tax. Then you've got what's referred to as Social Security, which is broken into two parts. The OASDI, which is the Social Security that we think of that is applicable towards paying for our Social Security and retirement, what happens there is you're paying 6.2% of your earned income, earned income note. You're not going to pay that on any unearned income such as uh, invest, uh, uh, investment income, retirement income. It's only on earned income. So you pay 6.2% and then you pay for Medicare. Medicare is an additional 1.45%. So between the two, it's 7.65% and it's not a small number. So what actually happens is that you as an individual pay it and then your employer also pays it. So between the two, it's actually 15.3% of your wages are actually going to the government for Social Security. However, what item to note is that Social Security, and this slide I just realized is from the prior year, Social Security, the 6.2% is capped once you reach an income of 137,700. So that if you make 200,000, it's only the first 137,700 that you and your employer are paying on the 6.2%. However, the Medicare continues no matter how much income you make. Then the last piece is the federal piece. The federal piece is anywhere between 0% and 37%. And the reason why we're talking about federal is because of the fact that the other pieces you don't really have much control over. You do have control over federal as in what's taxed, what's not taxed, and what can you control, what can you manipulate, and what can you defer. 
So my next slide here basically is something that I developed all the way back since 2003. And in fact, I've been doing tax planning since 2003, uh, ever since it was actually the implementation of uh, the Bush tax laws that were implemented in 2001 and then expedited so that instead of them being phased in over 10 years, they were done in 2003. And now it's because of the fact that we were going through that uh, massive depression or recession that we were going through in 2001 and 2002. So what I did here is I was somehow able to take the 1040 and make it so that it was easier to understand. In fact, um, by the way, just know, I don't do taxes, I don't want to do taxes, and I have no interest in doing taxes. That's left for the accountants, okay? And I use my own uh, accountant, even though I do my own tabs, even though I teach tax planning, and I teach tax planning actually to CPAs and, and the general public, I don't do my own taxes, and I'm not encouraging people to look at me for doing taxes, but I teach tax planning, and in fact, I even found that the CPAs looked at this and said, wow, look at that. They, they just didn't realize that I was able to take what was relatively complex and make it simple, okay? And believe it or not, if you look at the left half of this, the left half of this is your tax return. And I always like to ask the first stupid question of the day is, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you know, which looks simpler, this or your tax return? And they looked, it's like, wow, okay, obviously this. I'm like, yeah, well, you know why? Because it is this simple. It just so happens that the tax return is very daunting and intimidating because especially if you use TurboTax or if you use a client, or, uh, an accountant, and they provide a tax return, darn thing, 30, 40 pages, okay? And all of it is, most of it is superfluous, unnecessary information. So here we go. I'm gonna now take this, and this represents 2017. So the left-hand side kind of just goes through, and then the right-hand side, I'm sorry, left-hand side goes through your income and your expenses and your deductions to formulate taxable income, and then the right-hand side shows the different tax brackets. The colors represent how capital gains are taxed, of which I will explain it in more detail when I look at 2020. The 2020 is going to be the next slide, and what I specifically did is I demonstrate anything in red as this is what's changed from 2017 to 2018. And what I'll elaborate more in the next episode when we're talking about tax strategies, fact of the matter is, I've been teaching taxes since 2003, and all those years I was saying, we're in the lowest income tax bracket system that we've ever been in, it can only go one direction. Well, guess what? In 2018, President Trump made a liar out of me, and they actually lowered the tax rates. So this here now represents how the tax system works. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go through an example of how simple this really is, okay? So here's the first example. There's a bunch of numbers that you see on the left-hand side. So let's go down the list. You've got earned income, you've got income dividends, you've got capital gains and losses and other. And if you remember the old tax returns, they flipped it and made it so that the tax return is is the, supposed to be the size of a postcard. It's not exactly that way. But what they did is they took a lot of the lines that were there and said, we're gonna, nobody uses them or hardly anybody uses them. We're just gonna stuff them on another schedule, okay? So how this works is this, is you have earned income. So let's say you have a married couple, 
and the one spouse earns $100,000, and they decide that they're going to contribute 10% of their income to their 401k, their traditional 401k. So that income is tax deductible, all right? Then they also have a medical insurance plan. They're on a family plan, and they're paying about $400 a month, which is approximately $5,000 a year. So what happens is that $5,000 is also tax deductible. So what happens here is, so that individual made $100,000 salary. They put $10,000 or 10% into their 401k, and they put $5,000 into their medical insurance. So at the end of the year, in January, they get their W-2 from their employer. The W-2 says that they made $85,000, okay? which demonstrates that that $15,000 was effectively tax deductible because they're only paying taxes on $85,000. Then the spouse. The spouse makes $40,000 and they contribute 10% to their 401k, but because the other spouse has medical insurance, they don't need to pay it. So they're contributing 10%, which is 4,000. So their contribution, or sorry, their W-2 at the end of the year is gonna say 36,000. Now, of course, when you see it on your tax return, it's going to be one line. So that 85,000 and that 36,000, which adds up to 121, you will see that as wages, salaries, and compensation, 121,000. I just wanted to show you how they arrive at that. Then you've got interest and dividends. Right? Interest is basically anything that is distributed by your bank account. Okay, in today's interest rate environment, the numbers aren't all that big. All right, but what happens here is if you have $100 worth of interest, you have to post it on your tax return. Dividends are distributed by both bonds and stocks, of which dividends are um, divided into two different things. So basically, investments provide dividends. Bond dividends are taxed as ordinary income, but stock dividends are taxed as what they refer to as qualified dividends. Qualified dividends, and you're going to hear the word from me a lot, the word qualified means it qualifies for a special tax advantage. So in this particular instance, which I will get into, it qualifies for a special tax advantage. Then you've got capital gains and losses. Very simple. If you buy an investment for $10,000 and you sell it for fifteen, dollars you have to pay taxes on that $5,000 gain. But if you buy an investment for $15,000 and sell it for ten, dollars that's considered a capital loss. Okay, Capital losses, you get the write-off, capped at $3,000, but you can carry them over to the following year. But capital gains, let's talk about that. They then categorize capital gains in two categories, short-term and long-term. Long-term is considered anything that is greater than one year, which is one year and one day. So if I bought Microsoft stock and I held it for more than one year, meaning one year and one day, or Apple stock or whatever, if I sell that investment greater than a year and a day, then that is considered to be a long-term capital gain and gets preferential tax treatment just like qualified dividends. So then other income is the catch-all. It's all of the other stuff. Is it uh, Social Security income? Is it IRA distributions? Is it unemployment income? Is it actually a Pennsylvania or a state tax refund? Is it income from trusts, income from businesses, income from other sources show up here?
Okay, and that represents a whole lot of lines on the tax return that the federal government realized, well, hey, hardly anybody is using these, or certainly not enough of the population is using these. Let's trim down the size of the return. We'll push it over here, and if somebody has it, they could do the math on this other, uh, other schedule or other form. The summation brings it into the first page. So then we add all these numbers up, and it results in your adjusted gross income. Adjusted gross income is a magic number. It's a magic number because it's the driver as to whether you are or are not eligible for a variety of tax programs. If your adjusted gross income is really low, then what happens is the government gives you things, okay? As it climbs higher, you lose the things that they give you, but then once it gets above certain thresholds, some of these things actually drop off. So I actually have a little cheat sheet on the bottom right-hand side that goes through the different things. Then the next piece is standard versus itemized deductions. And there are four major components that go into the itemized deduction. First of all, they give you a standard deduction. And the standard deduction for a married couple is 24,800 and singles half that 12,400. However, if you can document eligible deductions that exceeds that number, then you take it. And what are the big hitters? Mortgage interest, state and local income taxes, um, property taxes, charitable contributions, and in some cases that are used, medical deductions or medical payments out of pocket that exceed 7.5% of your AGI. But most people now don't itemize because the standard deduction has been raised so high that they can't exceed it. So now they take the standard deductions. We take your adjusted gross income, known as AGI. In this particular instance, I use the value of 134800 they get the $24,800 standard deduction, and now they get to the term called taxable income. The taxable income is $110,000. However, I find this to be one of the funniest, most convoluted uh, page of the tax return is the taxation of dividends and capital gains. I absolutely found it ludicrous and funny, actually, once you learn it, but I was able to break it out and show it to you in a manner that is so easy to understand. So here's what happens. Now you have $110,000 taxable income. What they do is they subtract out temporarily the number of qualified dividends and capital gains, long-term capital gains, which was 11,000. So here's what happens. Now you have a taxable income, as I define it, of $99,000. So in this case, you go over to the right-hand side, and the right-hand side basically shows how the tax bracket system works. This is what's referred to as a graduated tax system, which means that the higher your income, the higher the percentage of tax that you pay. So in this particular instance, what happens is uh, their taxable income exclusive of dividends and capital gains, their taxable income is $99,000, which means that the first $19,750 is taxed at 10%. And then from $19,750 to $80,250 is taxed at 12%. And then from $80,250 to $171,050 is taxed at 22%. And then the next group is taxed at 24%, and then 32%, then 35%, and 37%, and so on and so forth. 
So what's important to understand here is the misnomer that people say, oh, geez, I am now in a higher income tax bracket. Well, not so fast. In this particular instance, this individual has a taxable income of 99000 What that really means is only that number between 80000 and 99, that 19000 is the only portion of their income that's taxed at 22%. That's what's referred to as their marginal tax bracket, their marginal federal tax bracket, which means that if that individual earned 1,000 more, that 1,000 would noodle all the way through their tax return, their taxable income would go from 99 to 100,000, and that 1,000 is taxed at 22%. That's very, very important because when we talk about tax strategies and tax planning, it's very important to understand what your current marginal tax bracket is. Similarly, if the individual were to find an extra $1,000 tax deduction, whether it be through a capital loss or whether it through additional contribution to their 401k, which again is very important when it comes to tax planning, if they were able to contribute an extra $1,000, it'll noodle its way all the way through the tax return, and at the end, their, cap their, their income is $98,000 which means that that incremental $1,000, they saved 22%. So what about the capital gains? Well, here we go. So here's what happens is now we bring the capital gains back in again. So in this example, we had $99,000 of taxable income, but we had $11,000 of capital gains. So according to the tax return, the taxable income is $110,000, but let's better understand it. So we pulled out the dividends and capital gains, which I indicated earlier, are considered to be, um, they qualify for special tax treatment. So what we do now is we add it back in. So when we add it back in, where is that 11,000? So on this chart here, you can see what I've shaded in green and yellow and red. If you're in the red zone, Okay, what happens is that your capital gains are taxed at 20%. Well, let's be practical. 20% is a whole lot better than 35 and 37, isn't it? Okay, then in the yellow zone, your capital gains are taxed at 15%. Once again, your capital gains and your dividends are going to be taxed at a preferential rate, which is lower than any of those tax brackets, whether it be 22, 24, 32, or even part of 35, 15% is a whole lot better. Then you get down to the green zone and it's taxed at my favorite rate. It's amazing how many people get this wrong. My favorite rate is zero. Of course, it's everybody's favorite rate, right? So if your taxable income is down there, then the amount of tax that you pay on those capital gains is 0%. Very important to know. So in this particular example, what I'm demonstrating is the person's tax would be from zero to 10, uh, 19,000 is at 10%. From 19,000 to 80,000 is taxed at 12%. And then from 80 to 99 is at 22%. Then we throw in the capital gains and those $11,000 worth of capital gains are now taxed at 15%. So as you can see, it's tax preferred, okay? Tax advantaged. So what's changed between 2017 and 2020? What I intentionally did here is I uh, made in red, as opposed to black, I made it in red those numbers that changed. So let's start on the left-hand side. They did away with exemptions, okay? Exemptions used to be you got $4,000 per member of your household. 
So if you were married with two children, you got $4,000 times four, again, roughly four, it could be 4,000, 50, 4,100, but you got about $4,000 times four, that's $16,000, okay? Well, $16,000 is now gone, okay? But what they did is they raised the standard deduction from approximately 12,000 to 24. So now you picked up an extra $12,000 in standard deduction, but you lost the exemptions. Another thing that happened is they capped the amount of taxes that you can claim on your itemized deductions. So it used to be you not only take your mortgage uh, interest, your property taxes, your state and local income taxes, and charitable contributions, you add it all up. In most cases, a homeowner's breaking through 12,000 and they're itemizing deductions. But today, they capped your property taxes and your state and local income tax to 10,000. So if you live in a McMansion that has a 12 or 14 or $15,000 tax and you're paying $10,000 or $12,000 in state tax, doesn't matter. You aggregate the two numbers and it's $10,000. As a direct result of that, what we have found is that the preponderance, the majority of the population is actually filing the standard deduction, okay? So on the right-hand side, here are the numbers that changed. So the 10% tax bracket remained the same. Most of the tax brackets remained roughly the same as far as where you hit them, except some of the higher ones. The 10% tax bracket remained the same, but 15 went down to 12. 25 went down to 22. 28 went down to 24. 33 went down to 32, 35, and 39.6 was the highest one. But what also happened, most notably for the middle or upper middle income people, is the taxable income bracket, where you went from 22 to 24, used to be at 233,000, now it's at 171, so it's come down a little bit. However, the next bracket at 326,000, that used to be significantly lower so now that person is all the way up to $326,000 of taxable income and is only paying, only, only paying 24% tax on that income. In the second part of this tax planning, we're going to talk about that and how significant 24% is compared to historical values of what taxes were. So the other thing that is on the bottom right-hand side, I refer to it as my cheat sheet. The cheat sheet shows where the different adjusted gross income limits hit as far as when you can begin to take deductions or when you lose some of your privileges. The thing that was the largest change, in my opinion, the largest change, or shall I say, the change that affected the most people the most was the child tax credit. The child tax credit used to be $1,000 if your child finishes the year 16 or younger, or under the age of 17, you got a $1,000 tax credit. That's a credit, it's money in hand. So the problem is, is that for a single person, if your AGI was over 75,000, you begin to lose it, and for a married couple, it was 110. So they were losing it, a lot of people were losing that child tax credit. However, what they did is two things. They increased the child tax credit from 1,000 to 2,000, and then they also significantly raised 
the AGI limit with which you begin to lose it. So for a married couple, instead of losing their child tax credit of 1000 at $110,000 AGI, they don't lose it until 400000 So in that particular instance, if you have a couple making $200,000, or in this, in this case, their AGI was $134,000, they would have lost their child tax credit. Okay, so if they had two children, they would have gotten nothing. Now they have $2,000 per child. So in most cases, this more than made up for the exemptions. So one of the things that I have found in just surveying and sampling clients, because we deal with this all the time, is that most people actually got a tax break with the tax law changes in 2008. And I could explain the ones that didn't get the tax break, but it, it's, it didn't apply to most. So the next question is, I'm gonna talk about the taxation of Social Security. The big question is, is Social Security taxable? Well, when it was originally uh, developed in 1934, 35, I forget which one it was, um, Social Security was not taxable, okay? Well, in the 80s, they made it taxable. And so, in my opinion, that's kind of unfair, but they forgot to ask for my opinion when they made the tax code. I could say that about a lot of things. All right, but anyway, so the question of taxability or taxation of Social Security, the answer is always the same as, as my previous guest had said is, it depends. And that's the answer to almost every question in financial planning. The answer to almost every question is, it depends. Well, in this case, what does the taxation of Social Security depend on? It depends on your other income. So what they've done, and this particular page is pretty much written out of the tax code as far as the calculations at the top show you how they determine the taxation of Social Security. And then the bottom, I created my little charts again to show how it works. So basically what they do is they take your all of your other income, you know, whether it be uh, uh, dividend income, investment income, uh, wages, income, they add it all up, IRA distributions, they add it all up, then they take one half of Social Security, and then they slap it on a separate chart, determine if and how much of your Social Security is taxable. So here, let's look at an example. In this particular example, we have a married couple, okay, of which, again, it's different between single and married. In this particular instance, we have a married couple where we aggregate all of their other income. All of their other income, whether it be IRA distributions, pensions, dividends, capital gains, in this particular example, is $40,000, right? So let's say, for instance, that their uh, Social Security is 42,000. One spouse is getting 2,000, the other spouse is getting 1,500 a month, 3,500 times 12 is their total Social Security is 42,000. Mind you, it's gross Social Security. That is before Medicare is taken out and that is before taxes are taken out. So what they do is in this particular instance, they add it up at $61,000. At $61,000, they throw it up on this schedule. And the first 32,000 is 0%, from 32 to 44 is at 50%, and then from 44 to 61,000 is at 85%. Now, we add that up and you can see the first is zero, 50% of $12,000 is 6,000, and 85% of 17,000 is 14,500. So in this particular example, the taxable amount 
of their Social Security is $20,450, even though they have $42,000 of uh, Social Security. And important to know, the most that anyone will pay taxes on is 85% of their total Social Security. So if their total Social Security is 42,000, the most they'll put ta pay taxes on is 85% of that. Now, they're not paying 85% tax. It just so happens that this 20,450 value now goes onto page one of their tax return as this is the amount of your Social Security that is taxable. So this is today's lesson on how the tax system works, and I talked about federal. Most of my time was spent on federal. So what we're gonna do the next time, next week, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna touch upon this again, but what we're gonna talk about is now that we know, what do we do? How do we improve our tax efficiency? And again, tax planning is, is involved and integrated in every facet of financial planning has a component of taxes. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And how can we put more in your pocket and less in Uncle Sam's pocket? So here again, I'm concluding my show today, part one of taxation. Uh, financial planning explained, hosted by Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and president of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. I look forward to you next week where I can show you some ideas and strategies and some of the long-term why I believe that you should be taking advantage of the tax laws today. Thank you. Have a great week. See you next week.